the Vikings did it. The Vikings beat the Packers 34-31. They closed a game. They've beaten two winning record teams in a row. We are going to stew in it. We're going to soak it in. We're going to talk about it so much. We're going to spend so much time just enjoying the win that brings the Vikings back to 500 and into playoff position here on the Locked on Vikings podcast. You are Locked on Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Locked On Vikings podcast. We are feeling good today because the Vikings beat the Packers. 34-31, the final score. Back and forth game. All sorts of stuff, positive and negative, to talk about. But at the end of the day, the Vikings drive down, get a point-blank field goal opportunity as time expires. 29-yarder. Difficult for even Vikings fans to doubt. Though I'm sure you found a way. But Greg Joseph boots it through, and the Vikings walk away with a huge divisional win even if the vikings don't catch up to the packers in the division that still matters a lot for like tiebreakers and stuff so it was a good 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 day thank you so much for making lockdown vikings your first listen of the day i'm your host your pal and the kid you copied off in math class my name is luke braun you can find me on twitter at luke braun nfl you can find the show on twitter at locked on vikings so let's just start and go through this uh chronologically I guess. I'll give you a blow-by-blow of the game if you missed part of it or whatever. The Vikings started out a little bit slow. First couple drives were slow. It started, you know, field goal, field goal. And then, true to form, the Vikings surge out to a two-score lead. They go up, uh, they get a touchdown, miss the extra point, and then they get another another touchdown. They were up 16-3 to as we reached like the four-ish minutes left in the half mark. Um, so obviously, you know how that turned out. The Vikings would, yes, blow that lead like they always do. And it's very, very, very frustrating, um, with some really weird offensive play calls and stuff. The Vikings have a chance to go score and really, uh, add to their lead. Uh, but they stall out largely thanks to a third and one play call that baffles me, I think for the rest of my life, which is a a fullback toss play now crack toss to the fullback so look a crack toss play gets brian o'neill out in space and that's always good brian o'neill in space is elite there are few people in the whole league that can do it like he does um but you need to give that to somebody fast that could have been kenny wangwu could have been cook It, it could maybe have been madison although tosses to madison haven't been great either but those toss plays are designed to get a running back around the corner and get him running down the sideline and essentially in a foot race with somebody in the secondary trying to get an angle on him, and that's how you get explosive plays on it. CJ Ham ain't that guy. He's not the fast kind of guy. So I, I don't I didn't really get that play call at all. And the Vikings would end up punting. They gave the ball back to uh, the, the Packers. And then again, in the final two minutes, things kind of soften up. You need to be a little bit sounder in, in your coverages and stuff. And the Vikings give up a touchdown uh, the other way. So they go into halftime up 16 to 10, but it's that same thing where you can feel the game slipping away. Coming out of the half there, there's been a lot made about the Vikings scripting plays out of the second half because they have such a problem starting slow out of halftime. They would script those plays as well as the first half plays. So these scripted plays did something really interesting, which was put Justin Jefferson at H-back, line him up like a running back. Um, And they had a ton of success doing that. I mean, it's really, really tricksy, and it's the kind of thing I don't think you can get away with a lot. But for as 
much as they can use it, they'll keep using it, I hope, um, including an angle route or a choice route where he kind of got the option to go inside or outside, depending on the, the I believe it was linebackers leverage. He was caught on a linebacker and uh, he could then break inside touchdown Vikings. They go up 23 to 10. They then let the Packers come all the way back and score to make it once again, uh, 17, 23. Then the Vikings stall out again. Packers go down the field again and score to actually take a lead. So when we were once leading 16 to three and it was about to go into the half, feeling like we were totally shutting them down. Now we're losing 24, 23. And that missed extra point from earlier in the game really starts to loom large. Um, so that unlocks a phenomenal drive the Vikings have that ends in one of the coolest Justin Jefferson plays I've ever seen. Uh, Packers come blitzing six against five in its fire zone, which actually means they occupied alignment. So it's two guys unblocked coming through to pressure Kirk Cousins. Kirk heaves one up off of his back foot. Justin Jefferson comes down with it and actually makes so much space at the catch point that he's able to juke the defensive back, get into the end zone, touchdown Vikings. They get the two point conversion on a sweep. Now they're up 20 four to 31 and then uh they give the ball back to the packers and the packers in one play marquez valdez scantling beats xavier woods on a post and woods had a terrible game and goes 75 yards for the score rough right so they tie it up 31 31 vikings have the ball two minutes tie game they're right back here again and from this point they if you listen to them talk about it, they were cool, calm, collected. They've been here a million times. You know, it wasn't this crazy pressure situation. They go down pretty easily after Kirk Cousins throws what should have been an interception, but Darnell Savage drops it right on the ground and it just barely doesn't count. It feels like we got lucky on it. Then the Vikings go all the way down. A couple of great Dalvin Cook runs in there. Uh, really good KJ Osborne play in there. And then Dalvin Cook actually gets what would have been a touchdown. He was had split a couple defenders and he was basically going to be able to fight for for the end for the goal line. But instead, he goes down at about the seven yard line, lets the Vikings kneel out the rest of the clock and the, the last timeouts the Packers had. And then they kick a 29 yard field goal to win the game. Vikings win. There's a lot of the same tropes here, a lot of the same problems, and ultimately it did come out, come down to the final field goal, but there's a lot to like about this game and a lot not to like about this game. There's a lot of narratives and stuff, so we're going to keep talking about it. But first, let me talk to you about how you watch TV. It can get really annoying with all of the logins and all of the activate this device, and you know, you've got one thing for all your live stuff, you're watching sports, you got another thing for watching a movie or a show on demand, and all of that stuff can get really jumbled up. Whose password are you borrowing for what and all that. Get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. DirecTV Stream is a service that consolidates all of that stuff, all of your live and on-demand favorites in one place, one login, and it is all you need. So get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. By the way, thank you guys so much for making Lockdown Vikings your first listen. Really appreciate it. Uh, let's talk about some of the overarching narratives from this game. And I think a, a big one that kind of went on all week and we finally got our answer was what was going to happen at the center position. So if you weren't paying attention to it all week, basically um, after Mason Cole played for a couple of games with uh, Bradbury out for COVID, they were pretty happy with the way that Mason Cole had played. So they said, hey, maybe he's going to stay in the, in the lineup a little bit here. And uh, they also they had activated Bradbury off of COVID. He was suited up, ready to play in this game. But if you listen to the coaches about it, they all said, well, you know, recovery is like a weird thing. We don't want to push him in before he's ready and all that stuff. Even though he was no longer on the injury report, they were still kind of treating him like he might not be 100% ready to go in the game. Mason Cole ends up starting in this game. 
he didn't do great, y'all. Uh, and he he lost kind of ironically in the same way that Bradbury would always lose. He would get walked back. He would lose his anchor. He would kind of get punched into the backfield a little bit and ruin a, the, the timing of plays. A lot of the exact same stuff that would happen to Bradbury. Now, I've explained my Bradbury take for a while. And the same thing applies to Mason Colt. Like if I'm going to be uh, like really apologetic for a center who gets walked back and stuff. I have to do it for the when the backup does it, right? So here's my deal on these walkbacks, right? And this applies to both Bradbury and Cole. I actually did a tweet being like, see, here's Mason Cole doing this same thing that Bradbury does. And here's kind of, you know, now that we're away from the poison of we can't really think about Garrett Bradbury without thinking about all the th- times he's made us mad, we can like evaluate this on a maybe a more neutral person that we don't have as much history with we're not as scarred by and so therefore we can like evaluate this particular kind of loss and and try to learn something right that was the point of it and people just kind of pointed out that maybe well it would have been worse if it were Bradbury which is kind of weird because I'm pointing out things that like I noticed that were exactly like Bradbury like They are very similar players. The problem between the two is different, though. With Bradbury, I think his pass set is just very wide. And I mean, he's doing that on purpose. And there's some uh, there's there's it it helps him kind of not get beat around the corners as much. But it doesn't give him a very good base to like accept power. And he's not that good at getting his legs swung behind him to anchor and stuff like that. So we can get walked back some. And a lot of times he will anchor eventually, but not before you notice him. Um, With Mason Cole, I think a lot of the problem is that his hands are late. And this is a problem he had in Arizona, too. He snaps and his hands come up late. And that's a really difficult thing to do with your hands. And it's why I think a move to guard can suit him well. I I thought that when we signed him, I still think that. Um, But he was able to anchor a few of these times. All of this is to say, I'm not sure with the game that Mason Cole had. And he got beat a lot in this game. I don't think he held down a job. And here's the way the Vikings can do this, right? They've set themselves up to kind of have a, a reasonable option here. Because if they do want to renege on this whole thing with, with uh, Mason Cole and say, no, 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 Bradbury's our starter, they can kind of be wishy-washy about that. They can put him in for a game, try it, and be like, eh, we didn't like this. Go back to the other guy and say, oh, we just didn't start him because of COVID. Even if that's not true, they can lie and save face about it, right? But if they do want to keep Mason Cole in the game now, they can say, oh, he's earned the job. That's it. And then the benching can kind of it's a little bit smoother way to like go through that benching. Um, But either way, if you don't like centers getting walked back, you don't like either guy. If you're like me and you don't mind it as much, you're okay with either guy. But I think the way that Mason Cole got beat, I mean, even on the first play of the game, he was on his ass. And the way that Mason Cole got beat is pretty identical to the way Bradbury got beat. If you think that there is a very large difference between the two, you're probably just remembering some stuff more than other stuff. And I would encourage you to kind of take another look because it's really similar. This was also the game where Patrick Peterson returned. Um, He returned from IR. He actually missed a good chunk of the second quarter with uh, he went to the locker room. I'm going to assume that was the same injury, although I don't think we ever heard what it was. And he played pretty well. I think he gave up a couple of catches. But really, I think more newsworthy, Bashad Breeland had a very good game. He was in very tight coverage most of the time. I think he gave up one slant that wasn't good. Uh, And PFF credited him with another one. I couldn't remember it. But on the whole, very good game from from Bashad Breland and Patrick Peterson was good when he was in. The secondary played very well. The problem is the pass rush didn't get anywhere. And so when the, the secondary did lose on plays, a lot of times it was really late plays. And Xavier Woods had a horrible, horrible game. He got absolutely worked. He gives up the big long one to Marquez Valdez Scantling. Um, he was late 
to break up a couple that he's supposed to like drive on. Um, and he had, he missed a run fit really bad where he kind of like broke down too early and then he had to lunge for it and he missed the tackle. So he, he had a number of bad mistakes here. There some people were talking about like bench Xavier Woods for Cam Bynum. And I don't think that needs to be the case. The Vikings did go to the three safety look a lot in this game, which I thought was interesting. It didn't go very well, but I don't think for reasons that were like native to the three safety look, I'll explain that again when I can see the tape and I'm like more sure about it. Um, but they did go to the three safety look a lot in this game. And I, I think that's really interesting. Um, you know, with Bynum playing well, they kind of found ways to rotate him in. But I don't think just like sitting one guy and starting another one is necessarily the move. I just think we can be happy that Bynum is like probably the heir apparent to Xavier Woods and maybe the heir apparent to Harrison Smith down the road when that's over. We can be really happy about that if he's playing really as well as he, he should be. And I think for the limited snaps he got in this game, he did all right. But really the hero of hero in this game was Justin Jefferson. Justin Jefferson absolutely ate 169 yards on eight catches, two touchdowns, and some hero moments. And a lot of that is enabled by the quarterback. We got to talk about him too, and I'm going to get to that. But first, it's Thanksgiving week, and that means for us Americans, we are going to stuff our faces full on Thursday with all sorts of unbelievably unhealthy things. So to prep... Maybe skip a dessert earlier this week. You know, get yourself ready. Go for a Built Bar instead. Built Bar is the most delicious protein bar on the planet. It's not a protein bar that tastes like chalk and disappointment and oats. It tastes good. It's covered in 100% chocolate. It's made with collagen protein, which really helps your body like absorb other proteins and stuff. And it's low calorie, like 130 calories in one of these puppies. High protein, high fiber, low sugar. It'll make you feel like you satisfied that craving. It'll make you feel like you indulged. You had a cheat day, but you don't actually have to have the cheat day. Skip the cheat day this week so you can cheat crazy on Thanksgiving and not feel too bad about it. That you can get at built.com and they've got a bunch of limited time flavors going on right now. So go check the built.com website every couple of days or so because new stuff comes up and that's where the good stuff's at built.com. You can enter promo code locked 15 L O C K E D one five at built.com. You can get 15% off of your next order. That's promo code locked 15, all one word at built.com. I also want to talk to you about Grambling, Bet Online redesigned their website. They've got all sorts of new features. I love their player props, their live odds. I never just bet a spread anymore. It's so much more fun to me to feel out a game and do their live betting uh, apparatus. It, it updates the odds like moment to moment to moment. So you can exactly decide, all right, now the team I'm going to bet on has the hook point that they want. You can go for it. It is great. Bet Online has all of the pro college football betting you need. You can also bet on basketball hockey, college stuff, uh, UFC, MMA stuff, even your favorite Vegas casino game. So head on over to betonline.ag, sign up. When you do your first deposit, enter promo code LOCKED on L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, all one word, and you can get a 50% welcome bonus. That's promo code LOCKED ON at betonline.ag, where the game starts. So I would be remiss if I did not finish this out with the grand finale of people uh, Justin Jefferson. <laughs> what a game Justin Jefferson had. Oh my goodness. Uh, he starts off the game, I, I believe very for the first touchdown drive was a corner route where he gets the ball and he actually fights forward, gets down at the one, but it's like this huge, I think 50 some yard catch. Uh, he 
gets a touchdown on the angle route coming out of the half on the drive where they used him at H back, which is really interesting. Um, they also did something where they like swung him out from the flat, like you would with Dalvin cook on a little screen pass or a little swing pass or something like that. And that lightened up the box. I believe it was an RPO, but that led to a run play that ended up being a really good play. Um, the, just, so just the threat of Justin Jefferson, there was a play where he was just running a little curl. I think it was like second and six. And, uh, he was, it was just a curl right at the sticks, but because he had been dominating so much, they played him really, really, really far off. And they actually conceded that first down. It was the thing, the Vikings defense, we've been so frustrated about them doing because they're so scared of speedy guys. Well, now other defenses are that scared of Justin Jefferson and playing it that way. And he gets the ball there. And then of course the play at the end that, uh, ended up being the, the, the last touchdown the Vikings would score. They would score the field goal at the very end, but this was this touchdown that, that, brought them to uh 31 to 24 lead and it was just a, a great play against Eric Stokes who's been playing well as corner he's a rookie corner but he's not a rookie in the sense that he's like a marked man he's been playing really well might be the best corner playing for the Packers right now with Jair Alexander out and not only does he win at the catch point of this and some Packers fans said push off. I didn't even see much contact at all, let alone the full extension of an arm that uh, a push off is let's that's like characteristic of a push off. Um, I think he just made an adjustment to the ball. And after the game, a lot of people asked him, like, what's your secret? What's going on here? And, and his whole deal is, look, I can see the ball. The DB can't see the ball. So I can always make that adjustment. If you see me one on one and, you know, just throw it up anywhere and I'll come get it and I'll be able to react to it faster than the defensive back who's watching me. And that's really fun because that that essentially assumes that Justin Jefferson won off the line of scrimmage. And like, yeah, that, that's fair. He does that a lot. But if he's won off the line of scrimmage, um, that means like it, when you're a cornerback and you're beat off the release, you have to get a step back. You can't turn your head until you've caught up, because if you turn your head, you slow down, you won't be contesting anything, right? You can't run as fast with your head turned around as you can with your head forward. So what they teach cornerbacks nowadays is to uh, is to play basically reacting to the wide receiver's action. But then you have to react to something he gets to do proactively. You're never going to be as fast. That's the advantage. Um, but again, if you're beat off, of, if you're not beat off of the release, if the cornerbacks, you know, step for step with you, if they bailed off right away or something like that, um, then this doesn't work as well because they can turn their their head right when you do. Um, but if the corner has to see you turn your head and then you slow down as the receiver, the corner can catch up. Well, the corner can catch up, but then he has to turn his head and now he's turning his head late and it's much more difficult for him to locate the ball. This is what happened to like Trey Waynes a lot. All of this is to say Justin Jefferson comes back to an underthrown ball way, way, way late, leaves Eric Stokes in the dust, but in front of him, but he makes so much space by making that huge adjustment to the ball that he can actually juke Eric Stokes and get in for the go-ahead score. It was a, really a fantastically awesome play, and you can just see the energy of Justin Jefferson going through. Um, and th there's a couple other things that I want to talk about here. Uh, so I know there are a couple of Packers fans who listen to the show and who probably are going to listen to Peter and then me too. Um, so th there's a lot of talk about the officiating in this game. Now, personally, I thought the offici officiating kind of favored the Packers a little bit, but I know that when you're the team that loses, the ref calls really loom a lot larger when you're the 
team that wins, it's a lot easier to forget them. But there was a pretty bad missed hold on Armin Watts. Um, there was, a, I think, a questionable fair catch thing. Um, they basically explained after the game. So D.D. Westbrook calls for a fair catch and he gets hit. What I thought was pretty hard. Um, but the guy wrapped him up and kind of kept him up, didn't bring him to the ground or anything, which I guess is what would have to happen for them to throw that. That's the like kind of point of the, the officiating point that they, uh, that, that they call these things on. So I guess that won't go called. Um, but I didn't like it at the time. And I guess it's still worth pointing out that like that could have gotten flagged. I thought he came in with a decent amount of momentum and DD Westbrook just kept his feet. And this was after the play. It was a fair catch. He had caught the ball. Um, so there was that, there was a, a, a bad Armin Watts hold that was missed where the guy had him by the arm as he was running away trying to get to Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers throws the ball away on the very next play. Aaron Rodgers would score a passing touchdown um, from third and five instead of third and 15. We would have been in a much different defense there. So I, I didn't love that. Uh, there was a DPI earlier in the game that I, I thought was really, really soft and arguably uncatchable. There were a lot of times when I thought the Vikings got the bad end of officiating. Um, but there is one call. So the, the dropped interception at the very end of the game, final drive, the Vikings go down and score the final field goal. First play of that drive was Kirk Cousins throwing an interception and that interception was dropped. Um, Darnell Savage takes the ball, kind of tucks it away as he tucks it away and he's on the ground doing this. Um, the ball kind of sl- scrapes against the ground and he loses control of it for a little bit. And that is incomplete. There are a lot of like prominent Packer people who think that that should have been a catch. And I think the reason is because they don't know the part of the rule that says you have to survive the ground. And survive the ground isn't in the rule book that way. It's just a good way to say it. Um, But let me just read the actual uh, text of the rule here. So the rule says a forward pass is complete. And by the way, if you're watching on YouTube, I'll put this up on the screen. A forward pass is complete in the field of play at the sideline or in the end zone if a player who is inbounds, A, secures the ball in his hands or arms prior to the ball touching the ground, Savage checks that box B touches the ground inbounds with both feet or with any part of his body other than his hands. We got that part right. Um, because Darnell Savage's knee was down when he had control with the ball. And then C after a and B has been fulfilled, performs any act common to the game, uh, like tucking the ball away, extending it forward, taking an additional step, turn up field or avoid or ward off an opponent and maintains control of the ball long enough to do so. And there are a couple of notes. The one in question here, the relevant one here is note number two, which says if a player who satisfied a and B, which is our guy, which is Savage, but has not satisfied C contacts the ground and loses control of the ball. It is an incomplete pass. If the ball hits the ground before he regains control or if he regains control out of bounds, that's the relevant part here. And essentially that means you have to survive the ground. If you have the ball control of it and you have two feet or a knee or whatever down, which Darnell Savage did, if you hit the ground and he didn't do like the quote unquote football move or anything, cause he was going to the ground. It was a diving catch. And basically if you hit the ground and it's a diving catch and the ball hits the ground and you lose control as you hit the ground, it is an incomplete pass. This has been the rule for forever. Uh, this is not a new part of the rule or a particularly ex- obscure part of the rule or anything. It's pretty inarguable that that was not a catch. And it's a lucky break for the Vikings because that was an interception that, that Kirk Cousins threw and Darnell Savage totally could have come up with that. We are lucky that he didn't. 
Um, and we were lucky at, at a few times, actually, where Kirk Cousins threw a lot of interceptions. So let's just quick wrap it up by talking about Kirk Cousins in this game. Uh, he threw, I think what I counted were four interceptable passes, including one that was called back due to a roughing penalty that just was an interception. I don't know if that one was his fault or if it was Justin Jefferson's. There was a miscommunication between the two it was one of their faults or, you know, just the fault of communication. Um, there was, of course, the Savage one we've been talking about. There was one down the sideline to KJ Osborne, where Osborne, I think, slowed up on the route. So I don't think that one would have been Kirk's fault either. And then there was actually a deep post where Kirk Cousins didn't see a cornerback that was nailing the deep uh, over or the deep post. Basically, a cornerback from the other side of the play will come over, make a play on this one if he doesn't have anything else to do. And that was the case on this play. He actually could have jumped the route and made it, but Adam Thielen knocked the ball out. All of these ended up not being interceptions. And I think if, if like one of them is is an actual interception, this the, the story of this game would be completely different. Um, there was also a, a strip sack fumble that the Vikings recovered. It was on third down and out of field goal range anyway, so it was just a field position thing, but still, uh, there was so there was that. There were a lot of almost turnovers in this game. So I think with more aggressive uh, Kirk Cousins comes more of this turnover stuff, and that's just going to kind of be the way it has to be. Um, but I guess we'll take that if we get these, this aggressive, you know, this 169 yards from Jefferson kind of thing. And hey, Kirk Cousins is a pretty accurate quarterback, so I think he can handle some dangerous throws. We're going to talk a lot more about this tomorrow. is Twitter Tuesday, so you can ask me some questions uh, at Luke Braun NFL on Twitter or at Locked on Vikings on Twitter. There's also a Google... Uh, Google form in the show notes. If you'd rather do that, you can just send an email to lockdownvikingspodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for making Lockdown Vikings your first listen of the day. For your second listen, check out the Lockdown Bets podcast. Your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling will help you get your grambles straight. Brought to you by Bet Online. I will see you all tomorrow, and as always, skull.